We're talking the walk at one of the best-kept secrets in Warwickshire today. I'm John Schumann. I'm the groundsman at Compton Burnley. A role he took over from his father 30 years ago at this Grade 1 listed mansion house, designed by Robert Adam in the 1760s. The parkland was the work of none other than Lancelot Capability Brown. I'm John Phibbs and I've looked at Compton Verney at Capability Brown's design here. So the historian and the groundsman join me, Jane Markham, to talk the walk of Compton Verney. In 1993, the Sir Peter Moores Foundation bought the estate, which is between Banbury and Stratford-upon-Avon, and saved it from rack and ruin. The house is now an art gallery, but today we're visiting the grounds. You can pick up a plan of them from the house, and we start at the car park, where a few years ago the avenue of giant evergreens to your right gave up a potentially dangerous secret. Common names are Wellingtonia, but they're known as sequoias. Strumming round the trees one day, and uh, when I took his elderberries out, I saw this thing sticking up now. I wasn't quite sure what it was to start with. I quickly realised it was a bomb. So I went back to the mansion house and I told the builder in charge, Are you sure? He said, I said, I'm positive. So at that point, he phoned the police and they got in touch with the bomb disposal people. He said, We think it's harmless. We're pretty sure it's a smoke bomb. So if you could get it out the ground and put it in your van and take it to the Stratford Police Station. And the police, when they got a big long stick and lifted it out the ground, and I said, we can't really take it to Stratford, Nick, because Shakespeare's birthday, Stratford is packed with people, and if they found out we were carrying a bomb, it could cause problems. It was collected and later blown up. And they were right, it was harmless, was it? Harmless, yes. (laughs) <laughs> Thank goodness for that. And to our left, as we're walking up here, there's some mature trees. This is a part of the grounds that you know quite well, Jonathan. It's a pleasure ground, so it was a garden made by Capability Brown, presumably. And it was placed so that when you're in the pleasure ground, you've got good views back across to the house, but also prevented the approach, the road, being seen from the house. So it hides it and hides the house. So it's quite a clever dovetailing of two functions. And these trees, uh, uh, will they be, they look fairly old to me, uh, will they be trees that would have been planted originally? Some of them may be earlier, in fact, in there. You can still pick out these things like box trees growing along the old paths, and there used to be many more box, I would suspect, as an edging for all the shrubberies. It's a wood that the carpenters like to get their hands on. They're a particular feature of the garden, the evergreens. They are, yeah. These are all yew trees. Some of these are supposed to be around about 250, 300 years old. And uh, as we come round the corner, we find out why this area is called Ice House Coppice, because uh, we come upon the Ice House itself, built by Capability Brown in around 1771, and now undergoing restoration. It's certainly in need of that. looks a little forlorn. How did ice houses work? Ice would be collected off the surface of the lake when it froze, stored in the ice house, and then taken from it into the kitchens for making ice creams and preparing the dairy products and so on. But sometimes you get a nice house, I haven't really thought about this one, but sometimes you get a nice house further away from the house, like this one, because the ice is being brought in. There was quite an industry shipping ice in from Scandinavia. This was on the tradesman's entrance so that they could could bring it in. Possibly, but do you know what it looked like, John, when it was more complete? It's been more or less like this since I've been here. Is it very deep? Is Is that how the ice was kept frozen? When I first came here, it was almost full to the top with rubbish. And it was all stuff that was burnable. 
what seemed like a good idea at the time was probably a silly idea, but I fired it. And it went down a terrific long way. Still haven't seen the bottom. It would have to be, I think, John, above the level of the water, which is about 30 feet, 10 metres below us, because then there'll be a drain from the bottom in the water to take the melted ice out again. There's quite a lot of engineering thought gone into building these things. They were very sophisticated, and Brown built a number of them. And I'd like to think this one originally had, that's why I was asking John, had a almost like a wigwam of thatch over it, so it's quite a tall structure, and it is... It obviously stands proud of the ground. Sometimes they're subterranean. This one obviously had a superstructure because then it would have, it could have been visible from the house, just the roof of it. And I think that would have been part of the plan. Right. I mean, and the, these old yew trees that have grown all around it, I, are they going to have to come out when they do the restoration, do you know? The yew trees are there to keep the sun off, to keep it cool, you see. Oh. So they're very important, so they have to stay. Oh, that's interesting. Because, I mean, when they originally built it, obviously, they'd have to plant the yew trees and wait for a while before they get the full benefit of them. But time on their side. They're patient men. <laughs> they, they were more patient then than we are today. Patient. They? Yes, they knew things took time. But it's succeeded now. All we need is the building back. Let's move off towards the lake, I think, and uh, have a look at the bridge with its four lead sphinxes. The Adam Bridge, isn't it? it is, yeah. Because it's designed by, or said to be designed by Adam. to keep... Watch over Compton Vernon and keep it safe. That's what the Sphinxes are doing? I think so. Ah. And, and Adam being a, another very, very famous name. Robert Adam, the mm. great 18th century architect who worked on the house. Yeah. So we walk down here and we get the first view of the house. Yeah, and this is the classic view under the plane tree. So you see the bridge straight ahead and the house divided by the plane tree, which is, gives you two slightly separate scenes. And it's, and it's one of the first trees that we've, looked, we've talked about today that's actually a deciduous tree, isn't it? The, the, the wonderful old plane trees. It's a magnificent tree. In the summer, it has these very light-coloured leaves, plane trees, and there was an idea that if you had light-coloured trees, it made objects seem further away. So when you're at the house looking out, you see the plane hanging over the bridge and it makes the lake seem bigger and the bridge seem further away and, and bigger and so on. So this is a typical Brownian trick with colour. Let's talk about the bridge. It's had quite a lot of work done to it a few years ago, where somebody, they say it was the soldiers back in the war, pushed part of the parapet in. So it got restored seven, eight years ago. A lot of stonework's been done on the front of it, down in the water. Everything's been made to look the same. And this, I imagine, is one of the classic views that would have been standing here in the middle of the bridge. That was, this was why the bridge was put here, I imagine. That's right, yes, it was. As one looks ahead, there's the south front of the house, you see perfectly framed with evergreens on both sides, and you shouldn't really see much of the stable block stroke coach house next to it, but more evergreens have just been planted there to, to screen it. So you just get this one oblique view of the very erect building just sitting straight on the grass. Uh, you took over as head groundsman from your father, and you're also a keen fisherman, aren't you? Is the, the good, are the good fish in the lake? Yes, brilliant fish in the lake. Pike, perch, roach, tench, carp, bream, most of the freshwater fish. What's your record catch in the, in the, in the lake? I think it was probably a tench around about five, five and a half pound. You've, you've known this place since you were a boy. Did you fish it when you were a boy as well? I did, yes. I think I was probably about 14 the first time I fished it. My father told me whereabouts I could fish and where I couldn't. And that was one of the few places I could fish was just the other side of the blind tree. Tell me a bit about your father. He was a very strict man and he was a very fair man. 
But at the end of the day, what he said went. If he said you do something, you do it. At the time that he was starting off here, there was a big, big walled garden as well that that he would have been looking after. I imagine. Right, yes, yes, big walled garden, which grew everything in there. I remember as a boy coming up here and helping out in the school holidays. On my way home one night, there was some cherry trees all along the wall. As I went through the gate, I thought, he and a bait, I'm going to nip over that wall and have a pocket full of them cherries, which I did. And coming down the bank, I decided I'd eat one or two, see what they were like. And they were cooking cherries, they were terrible. <laughs> as sour as sour could be. Well, that's your comeuppance, I suppose. That's right. <laughs> now, before we cross the bridge, it's worth saying that a series of footpaths are being planned for Icehouse Coppice on this side of the lake. And there are several other great vantage points that you'll be able to get to amongst the trees, although I suppose it won't be quite as it was in there. The shrubberies themselves would have um, quite a range of plants growing in them for you to look at. But, of course, they've, all the exotics have gone now. It's just, just the yews and laurels and things left. The badgers, I understand, are pretty... <laughs> that's, their, that's their patch. They've been here for years and years. And all the time I've been here, I've only ever seen one. But it was quite early one morning and he was just scarpering back to the woods. When I used to come fishing, I'd be here quite early in the mornings. In fact, I still am when I come now. Let's move on up the drive towards the house a bit. You can quite well see why the estate has been used as the backdrop to a number of films, and most recently, Iris Murdoch's The Bell, but, but the stonework already here uh, wasn't enough for their purposes. They put a bridge right across the lake. It looks so real. Across the wide bit of the lake? It was, yeah. Now, am I rightly thinking that Judy Dent shot something up here? The... She did back in about 1968. They filmed A Midsummer's Night's Dream. And I stood within... Four foot over, and all she got on was three little fig leaves hiding her modesty, and it poured with rain. And they said it was just the sort of weather they wanted for doing that. Did you t- did you talk to her? No. No. Sorry, and what do you say to somebody standing there in three fig leaves? What about the the sculpture in the on the lawn there? It was brought down from Portland, the biggest single piece of rock to ever leave Portland in one piece. It's supposed to weigh sixty eight tons. And there's quite a bit of it buried underground. It must have come on the back of a very big truck. It came on a low load, and I think it took two days to get here. Fits in perfectly, doesn't it? It does, but I've cussed it many times when I've been mowing the lawns. When it was first put in the ground, they had people come and climb it. But it got in the finish, the kids were climbing it, it was very dangerous. How long does it take you to mow all the lawns? It all depends how soon I want to get it done. Today, of course, I've got a tractor mower, I can do all of them in a day. One time I walked up and down behind a mower, which took a little bit longer. Well, I should think by the time you'd finished at one end, you were starting at the other, weren't you? Almost. <laughs> We've got a very good view of the building from here, John. It's, uh, it's, it's had bits added on, but it's been done rather beautifully, I think. Yeah, I like the extension, and it's quite clever the way it goes underground, doesn't it, and then emerges in some of the offices further out, and it doesn't seem to, to disrupt the line of the Adam house. I mean, did Adam actually work with Capability Brown, or would they be working separately, as it were? It's rather hard to say. They worked together on, on quite a number of places, and they had very similar ideas about buildings and architecture and landscape. And Adam improved some houses that Brown built, because he also worked as an architect. So the chances are they did actually know each other quite well and work together. 
The thing that they had in common that many architects didn't at the time was that they wanted the building to address the landscape. So they wanted it not only to look good in the landscape, but they wanted to make sure that the views from the windows were perfectly composed to make pictures that accorded with the canons of classical painting, such as Claude Lorraine as the, was the famous painter that they wanted to emulate. It'd be great to put together an exhibition at Compton Verney which would show Claude paintings with windows, the views out of the windows next to it, sort of emulating the painting. We really need. Oh, what's the little obelisk underneath the there? The ancient chapel used to be down there. Can we walk across the grass and let's have a have a have a little look? It's designed like the sort of monument you see at the sort of top of hills on the end of a long vista. Yes, <laughs> it's in miniature. So the, the, at one time there was a chapel on this on this yeah. spot. When was that taken down? Because the chapel's behind the house now, isn't it? There's a plaque on the monument when we get there, which tells us. But that was part of the restructuring with Adam Brown, and yes, Capabilities Brand. He and Adam built the chapel. But I suspect that a ruin of this, some of this was left, because I think the obelisk is 19th century and came along later. And I think Brown would have wanted to keep a bit of a ruin to see from the house. Taken down 1772, there you go. 1772, which would, would that be of when the whole house was re... That was when re- Brown was here, yeah. This would have been the sort of graveyard of the chapel. At- the latest one being Mr Allard. He was the first owner I worked for at Compton Burning. I think that's a very nice place to be laid to rest, actually. Next to the lake, underneath a beautiful old... Is that a cedar? No, it's not a cedar. What's that one? That's a yew tree. That's a yew tree, is it? These are said to probably be some of the oldest yew trees on the estate down there. I think they're old churchyard yews, aren't they? They are, yeah. God, it's very, very tall, isn't it, for a yew? Mm-hmm. Mm. These trees ahead of us have all had their tops They have, they are lime trees. A few years ago, but not long after Peter Moore took over, they, they asked me if I could find all the old drains and I'd do a survey on them, which I found. And I was talking to a structural engineer one day and I said, I could remember when I was filming this A Midsummer's Night's Dream, walking across here and seeing all, all this water, dirty water lying on top of the grass. What was there? I said, I can't remember. I could remember this being a big top... Do you think you could find it again? I said, well, it's nearly 30 years ago since I've seen that. But I'll try. And I came down one day, it come several days, but one day it had been a frost, and I looked, and I could see the shape of it. So I dug it out, and uh, a young structural engineer came down to have a look at it, and he said, I think you found the original sewer pit. We was very curious, and we got a torch, and we'd done something foolish. We got down and we crawled all the way up this passage, right the way up to the corner of the house. When we got up there, there was a manhole we could stand up in. Gosh, and, and you, did you manage to get out at the other end? No. So you had to come all the way back? We had to come all the way back. Hmm. Yes, I'd probably health and safety wouldn't have approved we, of that. We was told it's a good find, but you shouldn't have done what you do. I mean, I should have known better, and the engineers should certainly have known better. But it was too late we'd done it. Well, it's a bit of an adventure, I should it think. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is that still there now? Yes. So it's, it's still underneath. It's still underground. Where we're, where we're standing there. Yep. Now, these lime trees would they have been about the same age as the house? I think they're older because they make a formal shape. There's a lime walk, and it's a almost a room shape made by the trees. This is why I think part of the church was kept by Brown, because the limes are almost like a house on one side of the main view out from the house, and the churchyard and the yews make a similar shape on the other side. 
and this is part of a very complex composition with the ice house coppice on the other side, the folly on top of the hill, and the, bri- the road bridge, which is a very beautiful bridge, isn't it, from here, and it's a lovely view to it from here. Oh, beautiful, actually. We're standing just immediately underneath the limes. Yeah. And now the traffic goes across it. <laughs> well, it's it's not... always meant to, that in Brown's day, you can see that to the north of the bridge, the road was hidden by yew trees and things, but then the bridge itself was open to traffic, so you would see carts and horses and sheep and God knows what going over it. And that was part of the composition, that you would see people using it. So the bridge is actually raised up to allow people from the house to see the traffic. Could be quite attractive, better than seeing you know, the, the Tesco's van going over. But <laughs> Well, that's the snag nowadays. And the Compton Verney, or John, you'd say you'd know better than me, but a decision was made to try and screen off the road right along past the house. And the consequence has been that you can't see the main park, which is on the other side of the road. So you, there are losses yeah. with the yeah. so the main park is beyond the bridge in fact but but no longer owned by the estate not owned by the estate now no was it owned by the estate when your father was here it was yes it was owned by the estate sort of about 1957 58 and you mentioned that the limes look as they were a more formal planting, suggesting that before capability brown did his design there was a garden here before there was a big formal design with numerous avenues going off in every direction to the, to the south and to the west in particular. And the limes, if you look at them, they're all, they've had their tops cut off at 80 feet or whatever mm-hmm. it is, but they are actually are all had been cut historically at about 3 metres or 10 feet or a bit less. Mm-hmm. And that was the height at which they were kept and pleached and there were formal walk, a formal enclosure. Mm-hmm. You can see there's a a path quite clearly running through the middle, which I think was his drive to the house, which then goes on round the lake and and so on. I tend to call an approach something by which you get from the road to the house, and that was built with much more solid materials, with stone underneath, as John found, because it has to take heavy carts and wagons and things. And then in addition to that, you have a whole series of drives which the gentlemen, the gentlefolk use just with little pony and trap. So they're much more lightly constructed. And this was, so this I call a drive rather than an approach. It's a way of getting around the landscape and seeing the beautiful parts of it. Ah, So it was an approach through the Wellingtonias and a drive here, just coming round the side of the limes. Here it is, one of the most important trees in the grounds, the third largest cedar tree in England. Oh, there's quite a circumference on that trunk. I can't remember if it was 32 or 33 feet. You'd certainly, you'd certainly need several people holding hands to get all the way around it. You certainly would. I can say, having been an inveterate tree climber as a kid, that just is an invitation. It's surprising <laughs> the amount of kids we do have to come and get from office. They climb up Britain. And from here... Looking back towards the house, we get a, a great view of the West Front. It was the main park front, in a way, in that it faced the main park and the biggest lake, which is across the road. And you can see from this old cedar, you can see, looking back, how a clearing's been made through the limes for one of the big vistas. Where do you recommend we uh, move on to? I'll show you the aha if you like. Yeah, we ought to see the aha. Come on, then. Let's have a look at the aha. Back in the winter of 62, 63... People actually skated on that. On the lake? On the lake, yeah. <laughs> You'd want to be pretty well, sure. I'll tell you what, I was working here at the time. 
and a lot of people went on it before I ventured on to it. <laughs> oh, but you're a wise man. <laughs> Preachers over every year, but I've never seen it like that since. So the ha-ha is really next to the road, is it? It is, yeah. It shows you that the road was meant to be seen. It wasn't really... Otherwise, they wouldn't have had a ha-ha. You were meant to see the traffic on it. And beyond it, of course, you see the main lake, which is... Lord knows how many acres that is. So, so the ha-ha is, is this rampart, as it were, just before we get to the road, is it? Yeah. Oh, I can see it. This is the stone. Capable de Brown was the great master of using these devices, and they're meant, at their simplest, their way of hiding a fence. All this huge area of grass, which is now the pleasure ground, was mown for hay, of course. It wasn't mown as we mow it today for the stables, so it would have had grass of different lengths in it and grass paths mown through it and every day someone would go out with a horse and cart and cut fresh grass to take to the horses in the stables. So in fact the grass, the grass wasn't cut just so it looked nice, it, 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 was, it, no, has it a, had look, a practical... It didn't look like it does today. Uh, um, yes, it had a practical use and of course having a big expanse of grass close to the stables makes it easier to feed the horses. And then the ha-ha dropped down so that the animals beyond couldn't get... Yes. Onto your hay. So the implication here of having a ha-ha by the road is that the road would have had sheep and things being driven along it. So you had to have a fence between the road, because the road obviously wasn't grazed, but it was a drover's road, I assume, that people drove their flocks down, so there needed to be some kind of barrier. Where does the word ha-ha come from? It's meant to be the Dauphin in France, 1690s or something, who exclaimed, aha, in surprise, when he found his hidden fence. Oh, no, Isn't yeah. that it? it was that, uh, that when the huntsman were out hunting one day, the head huntsman pulled up and saw this big ditch and said, ha-ha, and the name stuck with it ever since. But, of course, that's just a tale. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this old drover's road's quite busy nowadays, as we can hear from the traffic going past. <laughs> We're walking about parallel to the house, up towards where the old orangery would have been. And there's a lovely, really graceful tree, an evergreen oak. And, and right inside, underneath the canopy, a really gnarled trunk. There's only two of these mature trees on the estate, although we have planted some more since. This would have been planted by Brown It's at the edge of this orangery garden. It's the last surviving exotic, really. Yeah. And... Um, beautiful trees. When you see great groups of them together, they have this bluish orangey colour to them, which is really attractive. I think this may be a hybrid between the home oak and, yeah. the, and the cork oak. Now, the orangery was demolished in about 1945, but well, it would have been in a beautiful position for the sun. In the summer, they'd be stood out, so you almost always had a flower garden outside the orangery to stand the oranges out in the summer, and it would be a very pretty garden full of exotics of all kinds. Facing south it's like a glass-fronted sunroom it would have been a lovely place to be. It's a great shame that it's gone. I'm sure this would have been a favourite spot for the ladies and gentlemen of the house. Yes, it was on a circuit round past the chapel, up to the orangery and then the drive, as I call it would have gone on up and across the road and there was another sort of garden bit on the way up to the lodge mm-hmm. and then you could get over the road and into the main yeah, park right, yeah. running along the top I, c- I can remember the pathway yeah. 
And again, it was um, box edge all the way through. Yeah. You can still just about follow it in parts you where can, it hasn't yeah. been developed. It would have been a formal sort of walk, would it? Their walking arrangements were, in a sense, quite formalised. So there'd be short walks, longer walks, sheltered walks, drives where you went in a pony and trap or something. And I always think of these houses as actually surprisingly full of old people and pregnant women who need short walks and comfortable, well-laid-out drives while the gents are off gambling at Brooks or something in London. Well, you had to be able to take the air or one might get the vapours, I think. one did have to take the air. So there would be a range of walks for different occasions and of different types. Ahead of us, as we as we head up towards the chapel and the house, you can see the red brick walls of what used to be the walled garden. Did you were you allowed when you used to work in there, John? Were, were you uh, were you allowed to eat any of the produce? You, you got you got your share. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where was this um, where was this ghost that uh, that you saw then? Oh, as looking in front of us now, the extension mm-hmm. where the glass door is into the cafe. And what was this ghost in the end? My shadow. Having said that, I had two Alsatian dogs here. And every morning I used to go in and open the shutters and then close them again at night. And wherever I went, the dogs went with me. And this one dog, it was just a young bitch. She was about 18 months, two years old. And we was coming through from the library round at the front. And we got to this one room and she suddenly stopped, looked at the fireplace. Her apples went up and she howled and howled and howled. She ran out of the room and I never ever got her back in there. She never went back in there at all. As soon as we got to that room, she'd run round to the next doorway to meet me, saying, coming back. That one room she would never go back in. Is this, is this a room that's used for the gallery nowadays? It is a gallery, yeah. You never felt spooked in there? No, no. So, and, and this is the chapel, then, behind us? I think it was probably rather radical at the time because it's so, so classical for a chapel and, and it hardly looks like a religious building, actually. It doesn't, does it? No. Apart from the bell on the top. On these estates, there was a very odd attitude to the church and what the churches should be, and they didn't necessarily want the church right in front of the house, and they would certainly be worried if the church was too big and too grand. Would it have been for the family to worship in, or would it be for the family and all the the staff? The whole estate. I thought so, yeah. What I suppose it needs now is a bit of funding and some restoration, and perhaps one day it can be reopened to the public in its former glory. And so down and onto the gravel path that surrounds the house. So we're walking now right next to the house. And the views all round, really. From the front here, you can get a sense of what Brown, what the design was trying to be. So right in front, you've got a cedar, in fact, several cedars running back. And they divided the view into two. You then have to in your imagination, remove the fringe of trees along the road. And you can see that you can see down to the lake on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, you saw across the park up to a little knoll. And then over this way, through the lime group, you can see the clearing, and over the cedar, up to the folly on the the hill. And through the limes, you see the road bridge. So you've got a a great array of things to look at. One, the, the bridge, the temple, the lake and this knoll, I call it, I'm not quite sure what it was, and the orangery going all round. And if you drew it on a plan, you'd find that they're actually 
set out at fairly regular intervals. And this is the kind of composition that um, Brown was trying to do, and he wasn't doing it actually, so you saw it from the front door, which would be a stupid place to design a view from, because no one wants to stand in the front door and let the draft in. The reason why he divided it in the middle like this is that he was actually composing the views from the windows on either side of the front door, so there'd be one view from one, one from the other, and the and yet the whole has a kind of symmetry to it when you're outside because it's got this big block of planting in the middle and yet it's two separate views and to really get the effect one would have to do a good deal of tree felling today Gosh. But, but from the way you describe it and I, you can stand here and you see it would be, it would be possible wouldn't it you, yeah. could, you could, could do it I mean, all the fir trees you can see the first side of the road that's all been planted in the last 40 years you must know every inch of this place John more or less, yeah. If you haven't mown it, you've clipped it or... That's right, yes. What, what's, what's your favourite spot here? I don't really have a favourite spot, to be honest with you. I just like it all. Talking the Walk is a podcast production.